0: Today, I'd like to begin by making a confession. The message I'm about to give to you is actually the message of another pastor. Well, I mean, at least that's how Peter describes himself in our scripture text today. He describes himself as an elder or a pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, after four chapters of calling Christians to a holiness and hopefulness in the Lord. Peter turns his attention to speak to pastors and he addresses them as a pastor. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 what he says. He says, "So I exhort the elders among you, not the elderly, the elders that that's those those they're the shepherds of the church. They are we might call them pastors. We have elders here at Arrendale. They're the ones who Uh, They don't have sole responsibility for the church, but they've got first responsibility for the local church. Peter turns to uh, writing to these different churches scattered across what is now today modern-day Turkey. As he writes them, he now addresses the elders. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter addresses them as an elder himself, as a pastor himself. That's why I say my message to you today is from another pastor. No, I didn't buy this sermon off the internet, okay? But it's Peter addresses the pastors as himself a pastor, as an elder. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So this is his message to them. He said, hey, listen, church leaders, Here's my message for you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, or to be, to be leaders, to oversee things, to, to guide, to take responsibility, an authoritative yet loving responsibility. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, What's Peter's message here? Well, as he addresses the elders, he, this passage, in this passage, Peter addresses a God's purposes for leaders in the church. He talks about, first of all, what leaders are to do, and then how they are to do it. He gives to us the what and the how of church leadership, and that's actually the title of my sermon today, the what and the how of church leadership. Now, uh, before you before you tune me out and say, well, hang on a second, I, you know I'm not an elder, so this message isn't for me. you're just going to click this off. Before you do that, hang on, hang on. Let me point out to you this that the subject of church leadership is a huge issue for every Christian. A few things are more important to the health to the health of your local church than its leaders. Godly having godly uh, biblical uh, leaders uh, uh, the really the the uh, as as go the shepherds of the church will so also will go the church and I think this is an especially important topic right now and I'll tell you why there's a few reasons it's an important topic now because I think well when I look around in our contemporary culture it occurs to me that there's probably never been a time in history where there's been more material available on the subject of leadership i mean there's there's so many books out there there's so many blogs there's there's so many videos there's so many courses there's entire programs of study on the subject of leadership uh, uh, everybody's got something to say about leaders about leadership what they're to do and how they're to do it but here's the thing what does god have to say about it Right? If we, if, we, if we stop to think about that, if we stop to ask that, what does God have to say? God has some things to say about leadership, and and uh, it's important for you and I to know it and to be clear about what God says. While we may be helped by other sources, we've got to know what God says. And that's, I think, why this text is important. Also, uh, when when I you add to that, the another reality that occurs to me is that there's many Christian leaders, and I'm even thinking... Right now, in our contemporary setting, there's many Christian leaders who have failed. Failed morally, failed ethically, failed relationally, failed in terms of abusing their authority. In many cases, these leadership failures have left people, families, churches, dazed, confused, and even disillusioned. It's critical that you and I have a biblical understanding of church leadership what it's what it is and how it's to be done. And another reason I think this matters to everybody, why you should be dialed into this is that right now, what are we like 14 months into this pandemic, more pastors than ever are getting ready, are thinking about quitting. Tom Rayner, who leads a ministry that uh, focuses on churches and pastors, says this. He said, the vast majority of pastors with whom our ministry communicates are saying they are considering quitting their churches. It's a trend, Rainer says, I've not seen in my lifetime. Now, look, there's a variety of factors at work here, but I, I think we all have to ask ourselves when we think about leadership in the church, are our expectations and are the demands that we place on our church leaders biblical? You see, as you think about it, you can say, well, I, I'm not an elder, so I'll just just tune in next week, Ross. Thanks thanks for the music. Yeah, I mean, you could do that, but here's the thing. The reality is this text, whether you're an elder or not, this text is highly relevant to you. And I'll say one more thing, too. I'm framing this in terms of church leadership. It is addressed to elders, and I will apply it to elders, but not exclusively to elders. Because there's there's more shepherding to be done in the local church than just what elders do than just what pastors uh, uh, do. Elders are are primarily, are firstly responsible for the church, but they're not exclusively responsible for the church. There's also deacons who assist the elders in leading the church. There's ministering members. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4 that it's the members of the church that are going to make the church grow. So here's the thing. Yes, Peter addresses elders, but I'm going to frame it in terms of church leaders and you recognize this is a highly relevant subject for everyone. As Peter addresses the what and the how of church leadership. So, I think this is a timely message and that's where we're going to go. We're going to start first of all looking at what Peter says about the what of church leadership and then the how of church leadership and then we'll close by uh, just just sort of reflecting together and going to try to raise with you some important questions to help you apply this text. So, let's start first of all with the what of church leadership. What is it that that Peter says that elders, pastors, church leaders are responsible to do? Well, he says it really clearly and succinctly in verse 2. Did you see that? He says, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I put it this way. What God wants church leaders to do is God wants church leaders to pastor the people in their local church. That's what he wants. He wants leaders to pastor the people in their local church, in your church, where you are, church leader, elder, pastor, your church, uh, uh, deacon. God wants you to pastor the people, to care for the souls of the people, in your church, notice that they're. Uh, the, it's called the the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. There's a metaphor, of course, as the people of the church are like a flock of sheep under the care of, of shepherds. Well, the flock doesn't belong to the under shepherds or the pastors. Whose flock is it? Well, P- Peter says it's God's flock. You see that shepherd the flock of God. It's 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 His flock. It's his flock. And what are we to do? We are to shepherd that flock. We're to care for the people. We're to care for the souls of the people whom God has entrusted to us. I mean, that's an awesome thing, isn't it? It's an awesome thing. When you stand back and realize God has been pleased to carry out his will in this world through people Uh, in general, that's why he calls us to ministry. But when you look in the local church, God has been pleased to care for and to love and to nurture his people through his people, namely shepherds who are appointed to that role. What do shepherds do? Well, shepherds care for the souls of their sheep. They do this in lots of ways. They do this, they, they provide for their flocks. They provide in terms of feeding them and giving them instruction from God's Word. They also guide their flock, uh, leading them, applying biblical truth and leading them forward in mission. Shepherds also protect their flocks. They Just as a shepherd in the field would protect their flocks from wolves or bears or, or, or dangers that are around, uh, biblical shepherds, church leaders, protect their flocks from false teachers and from deception, from the influences of the world. They they help them, guide them through under the, when they're attacked by the enemy. Church leaders w- w- do whatever it is they can do, whatever it is that's needed to be done in order to care for the souls of their people, to help them to grow in the Lord toward greater maturity, to help them go for the Lord in mission, to help to equip them to do good on behalf of the Lord in ministry, to, to glorify the Lord together in worship. This is what church leaders are called to do. There's lots of activities and lots of responsibilities and lots of tasks that make up the work of a, an elder, a deacon, a ministry leader, but but at the end of the day, ultimately, truly, our, what we are to do, the what of church ministry is to shepherd the flock of God, to pastor the people in our local church. That's the what of Christian ministry. So, dear elder, dear deacon, ministry leader, is this is this your mindset? Is this your focus? Maybe this morning you need to get refocused, to get your mind adjusted. The task at hand is to care for the sheep, to love the sheep, to provide for them, to protect them, to guide them. Your focus is, is on the sheep, their fruitfulness, their obedience, their spiritual health. This is the what of Christian leadership to pastor the people and the local church. Now, there's lots of other texts that expand upon this, that build this, but Peter, Peter here says it succinctly and then goes on to talk about how it is we're to do this. So we get a sense here, okay, okay, so we, we got a, a sense of the task, the what of of church leadership is to care for the sheep. But how do we do that? How how are we supposed to do that? And Peter gives us here a summary in terms of, well, sort of our motivation and also our methods of how we are to uh, care for the sheep. Notice verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he talks about how we're to do that. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, how many fingers am I holding up? If you're listening by podcast, you have no idea, but I'm holding up four fingers here. When you think in terms, when Peter talks in summary, succinctly in terms of the how of church leadership, he emphasizes four things. First of all, God wants church leaders to lead willingly how does what's the, the how of church leadership how does God want me to shepherd the flock how does God want me to lead my small group to to lead the library to lead the tech ministry to lead the worship team how does God want me to lead my Sunday school class to lead in my home how does God want me well first of all he wants me to do it willingly willingly some translations use the word voluntarily i think that's helpful it doesn't mean that that a person cannot get paid after all first timothy 5 and 18 says that a worker is worthy of his wages but the idea of voluntarily or or uh, willingly is somebody who's there they're, they're not doing it because they feel like they have to. They're not doing it because somebody signed them up for it. Okay. They're not doing it because they were pressured or, or guilted into the task. No, they're, they're doing it willingly of their own volition. They're, they're not doing it because they got voluntold. You, you know, what that's like, right, right. We're looking for volunteers and somebody offers up your name. Thanks a lot. Right. I remember, uh, a few years ago, I was playing in a charity golf tournament, and uh, after the, the the golf game was over, there was a dinner and, a, and an auction, a silent auction, and all kinds of memorabilia, mostly sporting goods that were available. And uh, you know how a silent auction works, right? There's, there's different items, and in front of it, there's a piece of paper, a chart, and if you want to bid on it, you put your name down there and how much you bid, and the person who has the highest bid at the end gets the uh, the item. Well, I was looking at some different items and I saw this this baseball bat that was signed by a Toronto Blue Jay. And I was looking at this bat and I'm like, wow, that's that's really nice looking bat. And then I just happened to glance down at the sheet and I saw my name on the sheet and a dollar figure next to my name. Now, listen, I didn't put my name down there. Okay, It turned out a buddy of mine put, put my name on there and how much I was willing to bid on that item. And wouldn't you know it? I won the thing. I got it, and uh, fortunately, my friend he ponied up the money and gave the bat to me. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. But uh, uh, listen, some people end up in church ministry kind of like that, right? Their 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 wife shoved them into doing it. Somebody guilted into them. Their, their their friend guilted them into taking it on. They just sort of like ah, I don't want to. Peter says, listen, shepherds need to shepherd willingly. Church, leadership, church leaders, good church leaders, the kind of leaders that God wants leading his people are those who are willing for uh, the, the task. They're not doing it, Peter says, under compulsion. Don't lead under compulsion. What's compulsion? Compulsion says, I guess I have to. Nobody else will, so I guess I have to. It's when you feel pressured into it. Now, there's some telltale signs that you are leading your ministry under compulsion. What are they? Well, one is when there's frequent grumbling, and the grumbling comes from you. Like when you overhear yourself, your own internal dialogue or talking under your breath, and you hear a lot of grumbling about the ministry and about the people involved in the ministry, you just might be leading under compulsion. And by the way, if you're leading under compulsion and grumbling, you're probably not leading very well. Frequent grumbling is a sign that you're leading under compulsion. Another sign you're leading under compulsion is when you find yourself just steadily, regularly doing the bare minimum. Like you're not energized about it because you don't, you don't desire to do it. Frequent grumbling, doing the bare minimum, like everything's an effort. A third sign that you're leading under, under compulsion is when you see people who you serve as projects or problems and not the blood-bought sheep of Jesus that they are. It's when you see people as hassles, when you look at people and want to run. Now listen, there are seasons we go through, okay? Church leaders, right? There are seasons we go through, and there's some people that can be, at certain times, can be really testing. I'm sure it's none of you listening or watching today, but there's some people, you've probably heard of them, that can, boy, it can be a real test of your leadership and your, your willingness but here's the thing, when that's steadily the pattern, I might just be leading under compulsion. And the answer, loved one, the answer is not just to up and quit, like, like put down the pen, don't write the letter of resignation yet, just hold on a second. The, the starting point is to, is to look to the Lord and maybe to repent. Lord, I, I've, been, I've been grumbling and complaining about your people. I, I've been doing a task half-heartedly, Lord. I've been seeing people, Jesus, who you died for as a pain in the neck. So it starts maybe with a bit of repentance and then seeking the Lord. Lord, Lord, this is an awesome thing. And and maybe it isn't for me, but but God, I don't want to give up without seeking you first to refresh my willingness. Forgive me, Lord, for carrying on just under compulsion. See, see, so don't don't, if you if you find yourself leading under compulsion, don't just quit but, but do, some, do some reflection, do some examination, go to prayer, maybe talk to, a, another, to an elder or a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ about what you're going through. Here's the point, though. God wants church leaders to lead willingly. He does not want his sheep led by people who don't want to lead. So are you willing to lead? Maybe you are. Maybe there's a ministry opportunity ready for you with that willingness Sometimes people start out willing, but then need to rediscover the joy. Maybe that's you today, to be refreshed in love, to remember the calling. God wants church leaders to lead willingly. That's the first thing. The second thing is not only does he want leaders, church leaders to lead willingly, he also wants them to do it eagerly, eagerly, like an, an, a wholehearted, earnest desire. Did you see that in the text? verse 2 shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly i got a wholehearted desire to do the job i want to do this i got a desire to do this i i want to serve i want to serve the lord I love the Lord. I just so blessed. One of our, our ministry ministry leaders recently just talking about just, I was just thanking them again because they were doing a lot of extra work lately and just thank them again. And they're just like, ah, oh, it's a joy. It's it's a it's an honor to serve the Lord. Like now, there's an there's an eager leader, right? Doesn't mean they always come in skipping here, like, yay, hey, I got to deal with people. Doesn't mean they're always like that, but there's a there's an an there's an overriding theme. There's a theme through their ministry of it's an honor. I love the Lord and I want to serve him. That's an eager servant. I love God's people, right? I don't always love them perfectly, but I love them. I love God's people and I'm care about them and I'm concerned for the lost. I care for others. I I got a passion for for caring for the souls of people. I got a passion for equipping people. I've got this is this is what I want to do with my life. To serve the Lord. There's an eagerness. In fact, this is one of the Um, prerequisites for eldership that that Paul lays out in 1 Timothy 3. He says there, 1 Timothy 3, 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. There's an aspiration there. There's a desire there that ought to be in an elder. And I would say the same is true for any church leader in any capacity to have an eagerness. Uh, Peter says that God wants Christian leaders to lead eagerly not for shameful gain. So the, the other side of this is doing it for shameful gain. Well, what's shameful gain? Well, some translations will render it money. And that that's probably is what Peter has in mind. In fact, I, I don't know this, but I imagine that as Peter writes this, he, he reckons all the way back to the days when he lived and walked and ministered right alongside Jesus. And who else was there who loved money? who loved money more than Jesus, Judas Iscariot. We read there that Judas had an unhealthy love of money that really was part of that whole betrayal when Jesus leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter, when he says that a leader should not be doing it, not for shameful gain, exercising oversight, so a shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, I think when he talks about not for shameful gain, he has in mind probably especially money, but not likely exclusively money. I think we can going to apply this to really all kinds of ulterior motives or selfish ambitions that find its way into our heart that maybe compels us to step up into leadership roles where we maybe have others fooled for a time. But the Lord maybe is revealing it now that there's ulterior motives at play, at play. Some people, the shameful gain they are after is notoriety or having a position or having power or just being recognized. When there are ulterior motives at play, we're likely not leading eagerly. A leader who's eager in this biblical sense that Peter talks about is doing it because they love the Lord and they love people. Let me ask you this. Think about your ministry. If nobody ever thanked you, if nobody ever recognized you, if nobody ever honored you, and if you never got paid, and I know that most of you in our church don't get paid, but if the few of you who do, if you don't get paid, would you still do it? Well, that's a good question. I know you want to say, yes, oh, of course I do it. Of course I love Jesus. But would you really? Would you really? Sometimes the people problems we go through, the tests we go through, are a, a means of God refining us and just resharpening our genuine desire to serve him and not for those ulterior motives that sometimes creep in. I think of one of our senior leaders right now who we brought him in here to serve in a full-time ministry position, but there's been some some complications that we're working out and ironing out, but basically he came in here right now uh, as a full-time job, but but is has yet to get paid. And that's not because we're being cheap and not paying him. There's just some some realities that he's working with. And I just think we feel terrible about this, terrible about this. But he he made the comment that it's times like this that, I can, I'm not quoting him exactly, but it's times like this, it's seasons like this where you really find out why it is you're in this kind of ministry. Well, this is the kind of church leaders that God wants. God wants church leaders to lead uh, eagerly, And as we think about Peter's own call to ministry, remember John 21, 15 to 17, after Peter had denied knowing Jesus three, time, three times, Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead, and then Peter had this memorable encounter with Jesus in which Jesus asked him in a conversation three questions. What did he ask him? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what did Peter say? Lord, you know that I love you. And each time Peter answered, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. You see, Jesus commissioned Peter to be a pastor. And here we are 35 years later in 1 Peter, and Peter is continuing to feed Jesus' lambs and equipping other shepherds to feed Jesus' lambs also. And and how how does how is this work to be done? Well, it's, it, this church leadership is to be done willingly. It's to be done eagerly. It's also to be done by example. Oh, sorry, what I was going to say? But eagerly, I talked about that illustration. Let me not get ahead of myself. Just stop for a second. Think about that question. Do you love me? I think of it eagerly. Sorry, I'm back now. Eagerly. What was Peter's motivation for ministry? It was love. He loved, who did he love first? He loved Jesus. That's that's where the eagerness comes from. It comes from a love for Christ, a love for Christ. If you find yourself in the ministry not particularly eager, you need to go back to your first love, right? So, I mean, you don't need to get get a motivational speaker. You don't need a strong cup of coffee, although that never hurts. But what you need to do really is you need to get back to your first love. Why am I doing this? I do this because I love Jesus. Do you love him? Do you love him? Well, then serve him. And when you love him, you know who else you'll love? You'll love his people. Like, if you don't love his people, then it may be that you don't love Jesus. Got to Go back to your first love. Refresh and renew that first love of Jesus to renew your eagerness. So, So church leaders, what does God want? God wants church leaders to lead willingly. He wants them to lead eagerly. Thirdly, now, he wants them to lead by example. By example. Do you see that in the text? shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now thirdly, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, being an example. God wants church leaders to lead by example. Are there things, Is there instruction that we give Oh yeah, absolutely. Look at Peter, right? He's, he's instructing lots of instructions in this book. But it's not, he doesn't lead merely by instruction. He also leads by imp- applying those instructions, by modeling those instructions, by living it out. Christian leaders know the way and therefore show the way of following Jesus. They don't just tell people to follow Jesus, and don't just tell them how to follow, but show it, model it in your life. That's what God wants. He wants church leaders to lead by example. Think of the, of how we see this in the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, just by way of example, he says this to the Corinthians. He says, be imitators of me. Now, what, what a statement. Be imitators of me. What's an imitator? Somebody who copies, somebody who does what that person does. Be imitators of me. In other words, follow my example. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He told Timothy also to set an example in his pastoral ministry, 1 Timothy 4.12. He said to Timothy, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Um, Let me ask you this. If the people you lead were to imitate you, how much more would they be conformed to the likeness of Christ? All right, if they imitated you in terms of um, how you speak to your spouse, if they imitated you in terms of how you handle your money, if they imitated you in terms of how you behave morally, ethically, If they imitated you in terms of your attitude on your job, if they imitated you in terms of how you spend your time, if they imitated you in different aspects of your life, just follow you around and imitate you, how much more would they be conformed to the likeness of Christ? Now, that's a convicting, introspective question, isn't it? But it's a question we've got to ask because God wants church leaders to lead by example. Remember a guy I, I knew years and years ago when I was in Bible college, um, he was telling me something really interesting. We had this, this teacher in Bible college who, he was my favorite teacher. I mean, he, uh, he was just, his classes were interesting, engaging. Uh, he told lots of stories, which always helps, right? And... Um, but I just, but he had a, just a clear, evident love for the Lord and love for people. And, and we were just sort of chatting about this one day with a friend of mine, he said, and he said something like this. He said, you know, um, I think it was the previous summer, he said, I, I spent some time living with him up in his, at his, his house. I think he got a summer job in his community, and, and uh, he, he boarded at his, his house for, I think, a couple of months. And he said it was the most amazing experience because I got to see what he was like, like when no one else was looking. I got to see him in his own home and how he how he treated his wife and how he, he treated others and how he conducted himself, even behind closed doors. And while well, he was just telling me he's the real deal. That's, that's the kind of leader God wants me to be as a pastor. That's the kind of leader God wants our elders to be, our deacons, our ministry leaders. That's, that's what God wants us to be as, as church members who minister to each other, people who lead By example. When we lead by example, we practice what we preach, don't we? We practice what we preach. Notice what Peter says here before he says leading by example. He says, We're not to what? Verse three. We're not to be domineering. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, I love here in this passage how Peter practices what he preaches. Did you notice? What I mean by that is, Um, did you notice how Peter addressed the elders in verse one? Remember that? He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Exhort. Isn't this interesting? Now, Peter's an apostle. He's got Jesus given authority. Okay? Like we read we read the book of 1 Peter and it's not like there's any part of this that is optional, right? Like Peter's an apostle, he's got he's got Jesus given authority. So he could he could say, "Now listen, elders, I order you. I'm commanding you. I demand that" he could have and he wouldn't be wrong. Cuz he has that kind of authority. But notice that's not how he approaches them. He doesn't he's not domineering. Far too many church leaders are domineering. They are belligerent in how they speak and in their posture toward people. They speak harshly. They are sometimes demanding, exacting. And what's even more frustrating is that they're often hypocritical. I mean, isn't isn't that just drive you crazy when people are hypocritical, especially in leadership? You know, when we lead by example, you know what we do? We practice what we preach. And Peter here says, We're not, not going to be domineering. No, no, what we're going to lead by example. And that's what Peter does. He sets the example. In his very tone in this text, he shows them how to lead by example, speaking uh, by exhortation. He also practices humility here, doesn't he? Right? So when we think of being not domineering, he it's somebody who's not domineering is, is humble. Did you notice how Peter? how he describes himself. Remember how I began my sermon? I said, I'm bringing you a message today from another pastor. Well, that's how Peter describes himself as a fellow elder. He says, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He, he identifies with those that he addresses. He calls himself a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. Well, certainly we might think in terms of the cross of Christ and Peter being around those times, but I think Peter especially has in mind being a witness of the sufferings of Jesus, being a witness in the sense too of how well, these believers he's writing to were witnesses of the sufferings of Jesus in that they participated in the sufferings of Jesus. Because of Jesus, they suffered. And Peter's like, I, I've suffered too. I've borne witness to the sufferings of Jesus. Yes, in the cross, but also in my life. Peter identifies with them. There's lots of ways he could have identified himself. He could have addressed himself as an apostle. He could have reminded them that he was the rock that Jesus referred to. Jesus looked at me and said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He could have reminded them that amongst the 12 that Peter was the first among those equals. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he practices what he preaches. He practiced what he preached. He, well, he's the kind of leader that God wants us to be who leads by example. Listen, our example is a powerful thing. It can bless the church or it can be a bane for the church. Listen to Alex Strzok. He says this, If elders are petty tyrants who lord their authority over the local church, others will follow their example, abusing and fighting one another to gain power and recognition. You show me a church that's fighting and bickering and dividing, and I'll show you a leadership that showed them how to get it done. Strock says if elders are examples of uncompromising fidelity to scripture, then the congregation will be loyal to scripture. If elders trust God, the people will trust God. If elders love God and his people, the people will love. If elders are peaceful, gentle, loving, and prayerful, the church, for the most part, will emulate their pattern. If the elders are humble, the people will be humble, avoiding much contention. If the elders are servant leaders, the church will be marked by Christ-like humble servanthood. If I want to know what kind of leader I am, I guess I need to look at the sheep that I lead. And you can say that too in your area of ministry and responsibility, church leader, deacon, elder, brother, sister. God wants church leaders who will lead by example. When we lead by example, we practice what we preach. We're not domineering what we're humble Yes, we know the way. Yes, we teach the way, but we also show the way and show how it's done. And really, listen, listen, it's a powerful way to do ministry. Don't, under, don't underestimate the power of a life yielded to God on display for others to see. Not, not a pride thing like, hey, look at me, but but a Christ-exalting thing. Look at the work of Christ in me and seek this for yourself also. That's the idea. God wants church leaders who are to lead willingly, eagerly, by example. And now finally, one more thing. God wants church leaders who lead in hope. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he's just talked about the what of church leadership and the how of church leadership in terms of being eager, willing, and setting an example. And he says, and, and keep this in mind, when the chief shepherd appears, when Christ appears, when Christ returns, see, he's the chief shepherd, we're just under shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, your shepherd, the church's shepherd, when he appears, then what's gonna happen? you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the motivation. This is the encouragement. This is how you get through what you're going through. This leader is how you keep going and don't give up. This is is the motivation to keep pressing on. This This is the power source to keep loving the people, to keep being faithful in your calling. It's the certain hope of the return of Jesus and the rewards that he brings to those who serve him faithfully. By clinging to this hope, by putting our focus on our glorious future, that's how we get through. And Peter reminds him of that. He says, listen, listen, you, you've got an unfading crown coming to you, an unfading crown. It's like in, in antiquity, a, a victorious warrior or athlete would be given a crown of, of metal and leaves. But what would happen over time is, the, of course, the metal would tarnish and the leaves might wilt. But Peter says, you've got an unfading crown. What is this crown? Well, first of all, it's eternity with the Lord in heaven. And the rewards that he will lavish on his people by grace, God will make it worth it to you, okay? In the end, it will all be worth it. And it's certain, too. It's certain that it will happen. Listen, get a hold of this verse. I think I told you before that Sidney Crosby, the famous Canadian hockey player, uh, in his gymnasium, where he works out in the summer, he puts a big picture of the previous year's Stanley Cup champion holding the cup over his head. And wh- why does he do that? Because it keeps his eye on the prize. That's what I'm after. Now, here, Crosby does that in the hopes, like in the hopes of, gee, I'd like to have that. Peter holds forth to us the trophy. He shows us the finish line with the confidence that it will happen how are you going to keep go how are you going to keep at it how are you going to keep loving how are you going to keep serving when you'll do it with hope and as you hope others will see how you do it and follow that example you see they'll look to the hope that you have they'll see how you pray in hope listen they'll they'll see how you you teach in hope they'll see they'll see how you endure hardship and opposition and sorrows in hope they'll see it and they'll copy it. They'll see what it looks like. And they'll rejoice with you and follow your example. This is what God wants. God wants leaders who lead willingly, eagerly, by example, and with hope. This is what God wants for church leaders. Now, let me close by just calling us to reflect on this. For you, brothers and sisters in a local church, let me ask you, do you see here, the kind of leadership that God wants for his local church. I think it's important for you, brothers and sisters, in our church at Arendelle, that you you require this of us, that you require this of me as a pastor, that you require it of our elders. There is accountability here. Did you notice that Peter didn't write a separate letter for the elders, but addressed the elders in front of the whole church? Why? Because the church needs to see that this is the calling of church leaders. And I want you to see that too. This is a hard passage for me to teach because it's humbling, it's exposing. I'm just saying, here's what the Lord says. Now, is this what you see? This is what you ought to require of us. This is, dear church member at will you will you pray this for us? Pray this for me, pray this for our elders, pray this for our deacons, for our ministry leaders. Will you do that? Will you pray this for us? Say, God, may uh, grow our leaders in willingness, eagerness. Help them, oh God. Empower them to live by example and encourage them in hope. Be sure that you are holding biblical expectations of your leaders. Your leaders are not, church leaders are not CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Okay, they're, they're shepherds. They're called the shepherd. Be sure that you have those expectations. Now, my brother elders, dear brothers, we must examine ourselves. We must examine ourselves. Is this the kind of leadership by which we lead? And dear brothers and sisters, will you pray this for us? And where you see it, will you affirm us in it? And where we need correction, uh, your correction is important. Hard to take sometimes because of our pride, but it's important. And for all of our church leaders, if you're a church leader of any stripe, listening or watching, what what kind of leadership are you exercising? Do you have in view, firstly, the what of church leadership to pastor people, to care for souls of people? To what extent is your attitude in line with what God wants? Will you examine yourself today? Will you reflect on on this today? And will you seek the Lord for grace to grow in godly leadership? In fact, I would say a helpful exercise would be to review these things, think about the what and the how, the what to pastor people, the how in terms of being uh, eager, uh, uh, willing, leading by example, and doing it with hope. Which one of these do you need to grow in most? Will you seek the Lord to help you to do that? Father, as we conclude today, we pray that at Arendelle Bible Chapel and indeed in in all Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching churches in our community, Lord, that we would be led by leaders who are biblical, godly leaders. Help us to be the people that you call us to be, to, Lord, to be faithful to the what and the how of church leadership by your grace. And as a result, we pray that Jesus would be glorified and that your church would be edified. And it's in his great name we pray.